Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, and I am coming to you now from Belgrade, Serbia. Since the last time we spoke, I have left China. It was very emotional <laughs> uh, leaving China after being there for 11 years. But now I am in Belgrade after a short foray uh, to America for about five days. Came here to meet my fiance and her family. And turns out we're going to be here for a lot longer than we originally thought because the uh, wonderful United States Citizenship and Immigration Services are taking their sweet time getting my fiance's visa prepared for the United States. So, no problem though. Going to be here in Belgrade, which is a very interesting and old city. And, you know, hey, it's a new experience. And I am starting to feel a little bit of an interesting square one feeling that you get around the new language in regards to the Serbian language. So I have not learned very much. Uh, you know, I've learned Hvala uh, Tošta, which means thank you, mother-in-law. Good good way to start off <laughs> my knowledge of Serbian. But, uh, you know, there there may be some things that I discover as I attempt to uh, you know, get to functional Serbian uh, while I'm here. We might be here for about 10 months. So I think that 10 months is probably... Uh, it's probably a bit sort of, it would be too big of a goal to say I want to reach conversational fluency by 10 months. Not because it's impossible. I think it would be possible if that was what I devoted my entire life to. But, you know, I still have Mandarin Blueprint. I still have my Chinese studies and, uh, you know, various things that I do uh, day to day. But I will, as many of you are doing with Mandarin, put aside time every day to just get a little bit better, get that 1% better every day, you know, over 10 months, that'll mean that I'll go from knowing pretty much nothing, I know a few little uh, things now, to at least being able to function in uh, several different scenarios. So uh, it's kind of exciting to experience that, you know, square one feeling again. However, it's also, it's, it reminds me of what it must be like, again, for a lot of you, and it also reminds me why Mandarin Blueprint is so valuable, because I keep thinking, dang, I would like something that's just like Mandarin Blueprint, but for Serbian, where somebody has kind of really thought it out and said, okay, you're going to start from this point, and you're going to move uh step-by-step step, all within your zone of proximal development, which is exactly what the Mandarin Blueprint method does. We start you off with things that are easy to understand, particularly pronunciation. Starting with pronunciation is so important because if you understand the sounds of the language, it really isn't just about being able to sound good, although obviously that's the on-the-face-of-it benefit of good pronunciation. It's more than that. It's that you understand what people are saying, right? So if I know for sure that G is pronounced like that and not G. <laughs> right, like a, how we would say maybe G-E-E. -E. Hey, G, guys, you know, like it's not that. It's T-T. If I can produce that by putting the tongue against the back of my bottom teeth and kind of having that sort of smile for the E-T-T, -T, if I can do that and be sure that I'm getting that right, it means that when I hear somebody say, um, you know, <laughs> that I hear that T and I go, yeah, that that's... They're, what they're saying there is definitely T, and then I learned, oh, that's the word for chicken, and that what she said was, there are two chickens over there, right? And then I go, okay, great, I understood that, and if I didn't understand that in that way, maybe I would have confused it for T or perhaps C, right? And so these 
things of spending time on pronunciation at the beginning, spending that time is hugely helpful and it's something that you can do step by step. And then what do you do? Well, once you have great pronunciation, which will follow you throughout your entire process of learning Chinese, it's something that will absolutely give you confidence going forward, then you start to build vocabulary. Well, how do you do that? Well, you start by learning characters. You learn individual characters and you learn them by utilizing those things that we're really good at remembering. When I hear a new Serbian word, I try to see if there's some association I can make between my own personal experiences, the languages that I know, which are English and Chinese, and see if I can make a connection to the sound. And then I see if I can make a connection to, uh, you know, what the meaning is and see if there's some kind of memory palace location that I can place this particular word. You know, I just, uh, and the other thing too, is you can move so quickly into understanding new places. This place that I'm in right now is an apartment that I'm uh, sharing with my fiance for the time that we're in Belgrade. And I've only been in this apartment for about a week, not even. I've been, been here for about four days. And yet I can totally imagine all the rooms in this apartment in my mind's eye. I can place things in the various parts of the apartment. I can, you know, in each corner of the apartment, I could imagine placing something in that corner and then in the middle and then towards the bottom against the floor. And I can place little items there in my mind's eye. And that helps me remember things. And like this process of using the memory palace is absolutely scientifically based. It is something that uh, helps you remember much better than rote learning and just writing down things over and over for the simple fact that it utilizes POPA, people, objects, places, actions, POPA, which we're much better at remembering than anything to do with writing or anything that's on a flat surface that we write down. Now, a Chinese character is a written technology, right? As is the alphabet in English, as is the Cyrillic alphabet in Serbian, right? So these technologies are brand new from the perspective of our brains. Our brains are much more evolved to handle people, objects, places, and actions. So if you can go around your apartment, which is a place, and you can put people and objects and actions there at different, uh, you know, sort of what um, Anthony Metevier of the magnetic memory method, he would call them sort of magnetic locations where things stick to those locations and they start to, you start to remember them that way. Well, that helps you to remember new things much faster than writing them over and over. So you're learning Chinese characters, you use the POPA method, which we utilize the metaphor of the Hanzi movie method. So what do you need for a movie scene? You need an actor, you need a set, you need props, and you need a script right? And then if you even want to get even uh, cooler about it, you need post-production special effects, right? So what we do is for each character, you use an actor set and props to represent the pinion initial, pinion final, and uh, character components. So the pinion initial is the actor, the pinion final is the set, and the props are the character components. And by doing that, you effectively are utilizing people, objects, and places. And then the final thing, the actions, the A in the popa, is the script. So that's what, what is, how do you come up with the script? That's the meaning of the character. Every Chinese character has a definition, a meaning that you can uh, sort of associate with your life experiences. So, because the meaning 
is not new to you. If you're learning a new language as an adult, every meaning is already known by you in some way. You just have a different sound associated with it. So you're essentially taking that meaning and going, what do I know from my life that represents that meaning? And then you apply it to that person, object, and place. It's really actually, you know, it sounds complicated when I'm explaining this, but once you get used to it, dang, it's really fast. And again, it's always compared to what? You might go, that sounds complicated, but compared to writing over and over on a page, it's not even close. So you start learning characters, you build those characters up one by one. Now, uh, then you, you know, put those characters together to create words, similar types of things. Just keep using the sound mnemonics, the associations you have with that, those ideas from your life. Uh, other images that you can find from even just Google images. You use these things to help utilize your connection. You know, if you're learning the word dog, don't just think of any dog. Think of the dog that you most associate with in your childhood, for example. In my case, my family didn't have a dog, but the next door neighbor had a dog named Kelsey. And Kelsey is for sure, because I loved that dog. That dog was great. Um, and Kelsey for sure is going to make her way into my mnemonic for dog when I'm learning that in Serbian or I'm learning it in Chinese because that's the strongest association I have with an individual dog. And so like, why don't, why not utilize that? Why just, you know, stare at the Serbian word for dog and say it over and over because A, that's boring and B, it's not as memorable, right? So it's like, if I don't practice it in the right way, I'm going to forget it anyway. So imagine that when you're doing your spaced repetition flashcard reviews, which is another thing that Mandarin Blueprint totally utilizes for every single fact you need to know. Well, uh, imagine that when you're going through them, instead of just repeating random information and just trying to get it into your head, you're in instead reviewing the images and personal connections you have to all these things. Well, that's what the Mandarin Blueprint method does. And uh, so if you're on this path to learning Chinese, this will be the clearest way to get there. Now, I could go further into what happens after you go into words, but I'm going to keep it there for now. But I do want to bring up something that I think is relevant to this uh, kind of point that we're making. Because, you know, again, I'm I'm here about to start learning Serbian. And, you know, because I we thought we were only going to be here for about a month. And I thought, okay, I'll, you know, I'll learn a few words or whatever, but then I'm going to go back to the U.S. And, I'll, and I'd rather just keep, spend that month continuing to get better at Chinese and spending my time there. But uh, then, you know, we found out we're probably going to be here for more like 10 months. And so I was like, well, right, well 10 months is enough that I'm going to try to start to understand different things in Serbian. And what I would love to have is somebody who is holding me accountable. And that's why we have an announcement to make. Uh, if you're, by the time this podcast comes out, you'll probably have seen this announcement. But it's the Mandarin Blueprint Inner Circle. And this is a group that we are creating, a few different tiers, that is meant to uh, get much more involved individually, Luke and I, with what your path is and setting goals with you, setting habits with you, helping you set up your environment, and giving you much more personalized attention at various different levels. And the details we talk about in a video that if you're interested, just it's really simple. Just if you think that having personalized attention from Luke and I would be valuable to you to help hold you accountable and help keep you on track, then send us an email to contact at mandarinblueprint.com and just put the in the subject line inner circle. 
inner circle. And then we will respond to that. We'll send you the information about it. Uh, I'm very excited about this because even though there's going to be a cap to how many people can be involved in this group, it's going to be really helpful for keeping you on track, you know? So like, for example, I do the podcast once a month and Luke does the podcast once a month and we release it every two weeks. And it's a little bit of personalized focus on a few people who sent in messages for the podcast. But imagine that every month we gave you individual feedback that's specifically related to your journey and exactly what you're going through at the moment, right? That is going to be something that I mean, I feel like I wish I had that for Serbian right now. So, uh, and I wish I had it for, I wouldn't even mind having it for Chinese right now. Just somebody who cares how much time I'm spending immersing and what I've learned and what I picked up on and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, this is the type of thing that I'm sure that many of you will very much benefit from and find a lot of value in. So again, if you're interested, send an email to contact at mandarinblueprint.com and put in the subject line inner circle and we'll let you know uh, how that's going. All right, let's get into the comments and emails for this week. Okay, the first email, actually this comes from the community forum. It's from Paul Gansler. He says, I'm absolutely loving this course. It's great. I'm listening to the podcasts from day one, but taking the contemporary course. So cool to see the progression from early days to what I'm looking at now. I'm going to throw this one out there. I'm going to absorb this and I'm going to be one of the successful stories on the podcast. I love that. That's great. You're setting your vision statement. And I would suggest, Paul, you know, think that, and that's like a great element of the vision statement. Uh, be somebody who can be the success story in front of others, right? That's excellent. And then also, I would recommend expanding your vision statement or your vision, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be a statement, but the vision you imagine of what you're going to be when you're fluent and literate in Mandarin. What is it that that's how is that going to manifest in your life? And think about that, envision it what it could be. And remember that the the difference between dreams and uh, achievement is your goals, and the difference between goals and achievements is discipline and commitment, right? And so we're all in the same boat here. The key is that there is daily progress always. Every day there is more than zero. Zero is never going to work because zero is for sure negative progress because Imagine you go through a day and you don't do anything to learn more. Well, then chances are you forgot something, right? So it's like, that's why the minimum to me is just to finish your SRS reviews because that at least ensures that you stayed uh, on top of what you should be remembering. But then I would say you also want to make sure that you learn something new every day. So really the minimum is to finish your SRS reviews and learn at least one new thing because then you can be sure that, hey, over a year, that's 365 new things. And I mean, is that enough to get fluent in the language? No, but it is enough to make improvement. And then, you know, te technically over 10 years, that's 3,650 new things. And that's probably enough words to, you know, really have, I'm, I'm not suggesting that anybody do that, you know, because the thing, the, the fact is that we're, much, we're very capable of learning more than one thing per day. <laughs> Obviously, many people are capable. You can learn 100 new things per day. And then suddenly you make 10 years of progress in, uh, you know, uh, one year. <laughs> so anyway, that's my only point being that it's all about the daily discipline. And the vision statement is what you go back to when you're feeling a little bit unmotivated. So uh, 
you're well on your way. I'm glad to hear that. And also, it's interesting to imagine you going back to day one of the podcast. I hope that you enjoy it. Uh, I think that that's, you know, we're, this is podcast 180-something, I think, 184. And uh, <laughs> that's a that's wild to think about. So as you go back and listen to these uh, different podcasts, Paul, please let us know what you think of that and how that helps you. Uh, I think that you're going to find that it's very motivational, but remember that the podcast is ultimately just trying to get you to get back to Chinese. So if at any point you realize, you know, I don't need to keep listening to this podcast because I'd rather spend the time listening to Chinese, I encourage that. But still, though, I'm sure that you'll find great value in it. Next, we have Glennis Gallagher on level four complete. She says, I think I believe for all my life, and it has been fairly long, I have never been able to see scenes in my head. You know when you do a meditation and they say, imagine you're on a beach in a garden. Well, I never could. All I ever saw was a mishmash of color. Today, though, while driving, I went through the characters in my mind. I could see the actors, the scenes, the props, remember what room I was in, and see the characters. I've been overwhelmed at times, but I'm really enjoying the course. I will just keep plodding on. Well, that is amazing. <laughs> that is really cool to hear. And it does jive with something that Dr. Anthony Metevier was saying in our interview with him on the Legends of Language Learning course, which is a free course. Feel free to sign up for it. It um, doesn't you know, require any uh, extra sort of uh, money to get involved. It just requires some time to watch some very interesting and valuable interviews with uh, language learning legends. And what he said is he wrote this article about aphantasia, which is a condition where people can't see things in their mind's eye. And he believes that even if you have this condition, you can still use the memory palace because there are different sensual sort of strengths. And, and as a matter of fact, if you have trouble seeing things in your mind's eye, you probably are better at having other kinds of sensual memory. So, and he pointed out, he was like, in the interview, I think what he said was, even if I can't visualize, you know, Phil, me, he was talking, you know, it was because we were talking, and he was like, even if I can't visualize Phil, I have some sense in my head that there's a guy named Phil and I know him. So how, how do I know that? And like, if you can get into a connection to how you remember people and what they are and what they're like, uh, then you can discover that maybe it's just a feeling that you have, right? But you know it's there and you can associate it with new things. Then you can even then use it. But it's even cooler to see, and he actually alluded to this too, that what Glennis is saying here is that even go, it's even possible to go from not being able to see things in your mind's eye to being able to through practice. And this is only level four. This isn't even that far into the course. So that's just fantastic stuff. So thank you for sharing, Glennis, because that'll be very helpful for people, I'm sure, uh, moving forward. Next, we have... Uh, Colan on Vocab Unlocked from Hu. She says, Hi, what does Hua mean in this sentence? Thanks. Xiao Hua Mao, Zheng Zai Diao Yu, Hu Ran, Yi Fei Lai La. So, this is actually just, so like, I like the question, but let's like, let's try to look at this. So, take Hua away, and what do we have? We have Xiao Mao, right? So, we know that Xiao Mao is just a cat, and Xiao in this case. That almost all like pet-related animals get can get xiao, or even uh, even a chicken or something. You might say xiao ji, and it's it is you know to some degree saying that it's small you know compared to humans, but it's also a term of endearment or affection when you use xiao in this way. So 
We know that xiao mao just means a cat, right? Xiao hua mao. Well, what's the likely scenario here? Well, really what it is, is just describing the mao, right? So in, in the end, it's probably some kind of breed of cat. I know that my cats, Rick and Morty, are li hua mao. Right, so a xiao hua mao is probably just a type of cat, a breed of cat in some way. Now, I'm no veterinarian, so I don't know exactly, you know, where to draw the line between different breeds of cat. But if I look at this, I go, yeah, that's got to be a breed of cat. In the same way that if I saw like, oh, that's a Russian blue cat, uh, you know, I can I exactly describe to you why the Russian blue is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the, w the way it is and where to draw the line between a Russian blue and other types of breeds? Well, no, because that's not my area of expertise. But as an English speaker, if somebody says, that's a Russian blue cat, I don't think that the, you know, the Russian blue has some other relationship. What I'm just trying to point out here is that when you see something like this, you can go, okay, Xiao Mao is cat, Xiao Hua Mao. Well, in all likelihood, this is just describing the mall, so it's some type of breed of cat. So try to think in these ways when you're seeing the, the characters like this or the sentences like this, and I think that that will make sense. Next, this is a good question from Sylvia Baxter on Make a Movie for D, uh, also pronounced D, depending. But this is for the character that is the most common character in Chinese, and she says, D, I was taught makes a noun possessive, turning me to my or you to yours. Why is this bullseye, Wada? versus wo, nida versus ni, etc. Even my host mother doesn't understand this. Yeah, so now we've given an explanation for this before, but I, I think it's good to reiterate this type of stuff. So, du is one of the few characters that it's actually quite easy to learn top down. Why? Because it's the most common character in the entire language. It is the most frequent character in Chinese. I challenge you to find a paragraph that does not have the character du in it. And if you find it, I mean, it's not ancient Chinese or something like, you know, it's modern Chinese, a full paragraph without du would be, you'd be hard pressed to find that. Now, what does top down learning mean? It means that you, so bottom up learning is learning the component parts and then building that into, you know, for example, with du, you learn the full character for bai, which means white, which is the left side character. And in order to learn that, you had to previously learn uh, the drop component, the mouth component, and the razor blade component. Then you learn the sun component. Then you learn the drop plus the sun component, and you learn the character bai. And then on the right side, you have the character shao, which is uh, the wrap component plus the dropper component. And then you learn the full character for shao, and then you build that up, and then you say, okay, now we have Bai and Xiao, you put them together, and now you create du. Now, that would be learning bottom up. But in the case of du, it's such a common character that we reckon you can learn it top down by just seeing it in context enough and going, dang, this character just keeps coming up, so I understand how it works. In fact, Sylvia, on landing on this particular lesson, already knew how it worked. So, case in point. So, we reckon that the better way to treat this character is to take advantage of the fact that you don't need to learn it bottom up and teach you an alternate meaning. I bet that Sylvia's host mother would understand what this means or why we chose bullseye if she showed her the word moody, moody, which is a very common word that means your goal or purpose, right? And so moody has this sense of where 
is your eye, mu, the character for eye, what, what is it focused on? Di, it's focused on the bullseye, right? So the mu, di, or purpose is using the alternate pronunciation of du. Sometimes it's pronounced di. And then uh, it's what you're focused on. So my point just being that we t decided to take advantage of the fact that you can learn the original meaning top down and teach you the alternate meaning. So then, hey, two birds with one stone. You now uh, know two ways of using this character. So sometimes it's pronounced du. And it means a possessive, turns a noun into a possessive. And it has other usages as well, but that's the primary one. And then sometimes it's pronounced D, in which case it means bullseye. So that's what we're going for there. And hopefully that makes sense. Um, and there's very few characters that we would treat this way. But hey, D is literally the most common character in the language. So why not? Next, we have Evir on na xie in context. So let's take a look at this sentence. Na xie hua kan xi lai hen piao liang. Am I right in thinking that hun modifies kansilai to say how exactly hua is looking rather than to say hua looks very beautiful? Um, no. So let's take a look at this sentence. Na xie hua. There you go. That's your that's your subject. Hua in na, what hua na xie hua. So those flowers, right? Now I could just say na xie hua hun piao liang, right? That would be fine. The the those flowers are beautiful. That would be fine. But by saying kansilat, I'm just adding in that they appear beautiful. You know, it's like, it's not really necessary to say, you could just say those those um, flowers are beautiful, but kansilat means upon seeing them, they appear beautiful. So like, um, you know, you see something for the first time, you get an initial impression because it's, so it's like, you you can you see it and then what arises chilai can chilai so uh here's an example you see somebody and you go oh ni can chilai lei right so maybe they look tired they're walking oh you're like ni can chilai lei what you're saying is that you appear to be tired and so you know these these flowers appear to be beautiful right but that's all it's saying it's not it's not adding in there's no modification of can chilai from hun it's just a conjunction, right? So, hua hen piao liang. Hua kan qi lai hen piao liang. There's no change that happens to hen when you add in kan qi lai. It's just a is or are in relation to noun is adjective. We, talk, we, we talked about this in uh, pronunciation mastery. So if you want to go back uh, and check that out, we had a grammar point about that in the I believe it's unit four or maybe it's unit five. I think it's unit five where we talk about hutton and uh, the EN final. And we talk about how hutton is often misconstrued as meaning very, but it only means very when it comes before a verb. So it's if it comes before an adjective, if it's noun plus adjective, it just means is or are, in this case are, because it's those flowers. Next, we have a Evir again on Yoshie in context. Let's take a look at this sentence. Just to confirm, Yoshie and Yodiar are synonyms. And the latter can be used here instead of Yoshie. That's right. Yep, you could say, That would be fine. So, totally. Yoshie and Yodiar are synonyms. Chris Young on Da in context. So, what Chris did here is he. He wrote three sentences. So the first, the 
structure of this is actually not quite right. So he, if you're going to use the character B to compare things, so he puts two sentences here and he puts B in between them to say, there, is there a comparison? But then he puts Yang at the end. You don't use B to compare two things without saying, uh, without it's you don't use it for the same you use gun or he so da wan chou wo cai hui zhu de di fang qu gun wo da wan chou cai hui zhu de di fang qu cai hui zhu de di fang qu yi yang so by saying it like that you're having two sentences and you're comparing them using gun or he um, and then saying yang. So it's just a yes or no, same or not, right? That's what that sentence is. If you use B, you have to make a comparison that has some kind of um, uh, qualitative, sorry, yes, no, yeah, qualitative comparison. So like, for example, is it bigger or smaller? Or is it, uh, you know, something other than same or not. Same or not is is gun and he. Uh, if you say B, then it's got to be like taller or shorter, bigger or smaller, uh, uh, wider or, you know, just something where there's a, a comparison and then you would have to specify what it is. So um, in this case, the sentences are, uh, I mean, really what Chris is asking is, are they the same? But you don't use B when you're comparing same or not. So like, let, let's uh, compare that. Now, he is actually asking a question, I believe here. So uh, there is both of the, and he's also, yeah, he's basically saying, are these two sentences acceptable? And yes, they are, the first two are totally fine. Uh, so, da wan qiao, wo cai hui zhu de di fang qu. Wo da wan qiao, cai hui zhu de di fang qu. So like, that, in both of those cases, you're basically just moving around war and that's fine because it's basically just saying what when the thing when I finished playing basketball or or yeah this is or playing ball uh I finally went home and the comparison is just where do you place war and can you place it before or after Dawan Cho? and yes the answer is you can place it either way and they're the same and then he has a third sentence here which is what Dawan Cho yi ho hui the only difference there is that, like, it's just saying after I finished uh, playing ball, I went home. I went back to where I live. Um, the only difference is if you say tai, there's a little bit of an implication of only then, right? So whereas this, the final sentence is just a statement of fact. It's not like there's no extra ganqing se tai, which is like basically the idea of... Uh, what feeling you give the sentence. It's uh, the meaning is practically the same, but there is a sense when you put in Thai that there is a, um, that there is a, some kind of feeling that it was only then, or it was kind of late in the eyes of the, the speaker. But when you don't have Thai, that, that feeling is not there. So that's the comparison between the three. But let me just go back and explain that when you're comparing two things, if all you're asking is, are they the same or not? Then the character you place in between the two things you're asking about, like, you know, ta he wo yi yang ma, is, are, is he, are he and I the same? I'll use he, or ta gen wo yi yang ma, right? Now, you can then say, for example, ta he wo 
Yang Gao Ma. Now, what does that mean? That would mean are we the same uh, height, right? Because obviously, you just say Tahu or Yang Ma. It's like, well, no, <laughs> you're not the same as him. But if you say Tahu or Yang Gao Ma, that would mean <clears throat> are we the same height, right? But still, we're talking about same, right? Now, what if I said Ta Bi Wo Gao? Ta Bi Wo Gao. That is correct because that's not asking are we the same and it's not even asking a question. It's just saying he is taller than me or ta bi wo gao ma, is he taller than me, right? That is a direct comparison question that gets to the subjective qualitative comparison, right? But if all you're asking is the same or not, then you use gun or he. So hopefully that uh, explains that for Chris. Next, we have Ann Fielder on Hui in context. Uh, simple question here. I'm really unsure about how Hui is used in this sentence. Any explanation would be helpful. Yeah, so this is a simple answer. Hui is the verb meaning of Hui is to return. But there's also a measure word meaning of Hui, which means like a time. So this time, how many people? Hui you know, so for here's the most co uh, common example of using hui as a measure word. So that would mean these are two different things. Uh, another word says liang ma shi, but like liang hui shi means two separate things. And you're basically saying to say it's like uh, you would use this in the context of like, uh, you know, Somebody's trying to say, well, this guy, um, this guy said the same thing that you said, and you say, just a liang hui shi. There's two different issues. It's apples and oranges, two different issues, right? Um, and so that's an example of using hui, as meaning like a thing or a time, right? And in this case, how many people this time? This time. That's what's getting said, explained there with hui. So just look out for that as a measure word. Um, another one is That means what's this all about? And what it is in this case, it's saying Now you usually drop the E in that, but one time, right? So this is what uh, one time or one thing. This is what one thing. Is kind of uh, and that just usually gets taught as a set phrase, you know, which means what's this all about? But the this the is the hui, right? It's like the what is this all about? Like what is this circumstance all about? And that's what hui is used in that case. So that's the answer to that. Francis Laney Campos on vocab boost here. He says, take a look at this sentence. The three bus here are a bit difficult to understand. Could you explain this a bit, please? Sure. So ran means otherwise. So that we can put that to the side because that just means like, um, <clears throat> You put something forward like um, Otherwise, so he it, he might have a an idea for you or a suggestion for you. Otherwise, so what we're establishing here is that uh, based on his behavior, he might have a suggestion for you. Otherwise, what? 
And then, um, so then we have bu hui, won't, right? Bu hui just means won't. Bu ni shuo hua, not speak to you. He won't not speak to you. Now it's a double negative, right? So like you can't help but wonder if there was like, you know, maybe a better way to write this sentence, but there's, there's from a meaning perspective, it does make sense, right? So otherwise, so buran is not negating anything when you say buran. It's just a set word meaning otherwise, right? And then bu hui, bu he ni shuo hua. So won't not speak with you, right? And now, I think that in this sentence, I wonder, I could be wrong, but I wonder if the Chinese writer meant to write uh, because that sentence makes more sense to me just in the sense that it's like, he might have a suggestion for you. Otherwise, uh, he wouldn't speak to you, right? Otherwise, he wouldn't speak to you, right? But in this case, it, it's like, otherwise, otherwise, he wouldn't not speak to you, right? So like, it's a little bit strange to put it that way, but from a meaning perspective, it's a, he might have a suggestion for you, otherwise he wouldn't not speak to you, right? So technically there's nothing wrong with that sentence. It's a little bit strange. I'm trying to imagine the context in which that would be true, but nonetheless, uh, that's how you can break it down. Another one from Francis Laney on 什么最好吃三对黑黑的大眼睛三对黑黑的 does dui simply imply the idea of a pair? Otherwise, should it be six eyes, two per each brother? No, dui, you're right. Dui implies the um, a pair. So, yi dui arzi would mean like a pair of headphones. Yi dui wats would be a pair of socks. Um, now, there's you can also have shuang sometimes mean a pair of uh a pair of something, but yeah, you figured it out. And what I like about this is that this is indicating that your language module is figuring, figuring stuff out naturally. So you should be happy with your brain because it's figuring that stuff out uh, quite easily. So yeah, dui can be a measure word for pairs of things. Or it's almost like, it's not even just a pair of things. It's like a set, right? It's, it's a pair. Yes, but it's also a set. Like they come together as pairs always. That's kind of how I would describe it. That's me thinking about it ex post facto. But I, when I think about it, every time I see doi, it's always got this sense of like, oh, it's two things that, you know, tend to come together. Next, we have Nick Jensen on xing le in context. He says, regarding xing le, 你现在可以用这个电脑视频了. Is there a reason you chose the default measure word ge? For computers, instead of the one we already learned, Thai, well, because the me what's being measured here is not a computer, right? It's, it seems like it, but it's 电脑视频. So what's being measured here is 视频, videos. So 你现在可以用这个电脑视频了. You can now use this computer video, right? So that is what's actually being measured here, not 电脑. In fact, if you said 这台电脑, that would be a video that would change the meaning and it would be okay, but it would mean it would mean the video of this computer, right? <laughs> Which is not what is being talked about here. What's being talked about is like a video on the internet, a video on the on your computer. So that's the reason. Annette Bicknell on vocab boost for Shudai and uh, a few other uh, many other characters here. Um many other words, I should say. 东边和西边有三个小时的时差. 
So that's referring to the American East Coast and West Coast have a three hour time difference. And she says, I've always wondered with China having one official time zone, how does that work in reality? I've searched online, but cannot find anything beyond that there would be five time zones if they followed the time zone lines across the world. Do people in the far west go to the office school at, for example, 11 o'clock because that is the time it would be with the one time zone, but in reality is similar to eight o'clock if divided into proper time zones. So what's interesting about the this is that in the far west, that's Xinjiang, uh, and the Uyghur people have <laughs> often have their own time. Uh, so they don't follow the Han time. But the thing is, there are now a lot of Han people in Xinjiang and, um, well, and they're imposing their will on the Uyghurs in, you know, unacceptable and terrible ways. But the, uh, the way that it tends to work is there's in Han, Xinjiang, like, uh, Urumqi, which is the capital of Xinjiang, there are a lot of Han there, and, you know, Han Chinese I'm referring to, and they for sure follow Beijing time, so they'll just, you know, in, in their case, uh, the sun comes up late and it sets late, so, but they just go to work and it's still dark probably, but then in the case of the Uyghurs, many of them follow their own time, which is, you know, three or two or three hours later. I can't remember exactly how they do it. It's not four. It's it's at least two or three. But, you know, they'll follow their own time. And, of course, this is being discouraged. Even, you know, as time goes on, people are being re-educated to probably follow the Beijing time along with other things. But, um, yeah, that's kind of how it works there. So in the case of the people who do not identify as being... Uh, strongly Chinese, they will follow their own time, and then the Chinese, the Han, will follow Beijing time. Roland Braylith on tougher initials explanation and pronunciation mastery says, as an American, I've noticed we, well, most of us, pronounce our BDs and Gs, Ts as well, a little more softly, especially in the South where I spent my early childhood and some in-between years than British folks tend to. This part felt pretty natural to me, very much like the last section with very much unlike the last section with J, Q, and X. I'll have to work on practicing that a lot. Well, luckily, you'll have plenty of opportunities to do so. Um, J, Q, and X come up all the time. And that's the thing about getting proper pronunciation training. It's not so much that in the moment you've mastered it for life. It's more that you've gotten it correct. And uh, therefore, when you practice it in the almost infinite chances you'll get to practice it in the future, you will know that you're practicing it correctly. And then, you know, exactly uh, the moment when you master it is, is hard to say other than you wouldn't be able to master it if it weren't for getting it right in the first place. Or at least you would have to undo a bad habit and then, you know, relearn it from there like I had to do. But um, yeah, that's basically the idea there. And it's interesting your point about B, Ds, and Gs for Americans. I never really thought about that. But, um, you know, Bob, B, B. You still kind of, like if I say Bob, I'm still kind of voicing the B, b, b. whereas in Chinese it's b, 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 ba, ba, right? So you you don't really voice it's it's popular. It's just the initial sound, and then the vowel takes all of the voiced part of it, whatever it is. Brian O'Connor on Wang Yo in context. Could you please explain what du? is doing at the end of the phrase, Right, so this is a shi construction, and 我们是在网上认识的。So 
you're talking about a detail of the past here. And so the context where you would be saying this is like you're talking to somebody about how you met somebody. What was the context? And you're saying, 我们是在网上认识的. So the 是 and 的 indicate this is the detail that you're trying to emphasize. And it's almost always about the past. Um, and so you're basically saying, what was the context, context where we met? It was 是在网上认识的. And that, you know, you could try to be emphasizing some other detail. By saying it this way, you're saying that this is the, this is the important part of the sentence. This is the important thing I'm trying to emphasize. And uh, you could, you know, I'm trying to think of an, another context where you could say something else. Like there's, there's this example we give in the shi article where you've got a few different things that you're saying and you just move the shi to emphasize the different details. Um, off the top of my head, I can't really think of an easy way to uh, come up with a new one. Uh, sorry, I have a bit of a cold today, so my, my brain's a little bit slower than usual. But uh, basically, whenever you see a sentence that has the shu construction, you're just saying what is between shu and du is the detail that's being emphasized about the past. That's it. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. You're going to see it all the time. And the final question this week is from Ann Fielder on Tida in context. She says, what is the function of bang in the sentence? The function of it here is that, so the way, the context I would imagine here is that person A is saying to person B, I'm not going to see uh, person C, ta, so please help me say thanks to him, right? Uh, remember to, you know, for me, help me. Uh, say thank you to him. That's basically what's going on in there. So the, the bang is say, just saying, you're going to do it, <laughs> um, but for me, and say thank you to him. So that's the function of bang. And then she says, thank you. I have another question. 我记得去年九月, is translated as, I remember last September he came to China and studied Chinese for a couple of weeks, is 半个月, half a month, preferred to saying two weeks. No, not particularly. Uh, they're just interchangeable. Like not, neither one is absolutely required. You know, half a month, unless it's February, isn't exactly two weeks. So there's a little bit of, um, you know, because uh, in case of February, there's exactly four weeks, but usually there's uh, four weeks plus a few days. Um, and so, you know, technically half a month is 15 or 16 days. Um, 15 and a half days, maybe on a 31 day month. And so, uh, it, you know, it's just, it's just basically an estimate. You're just saying like, oh, it's about half a month, a couple weeks, you know, around there. And so, uh, there's no particular one is better than the other. You know, you could say, uh, for example, you could say six months, or you could say half a year. It's just a flare of speech. No particular one is correct or incorrect. All right, great. Well, thank you for watching this week's edition of the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. A reminder, if you are interested in learning more about the Mandarin Blueprint Inner Circle, that is the group that is going to get extra special attention as you move through the Mandarin Blueprint Method and the Mandarin Immersion Masterclass and the Habit Building Bootcamp from Luke and I to focus on your processes, your habits, your goals, and make sure that you're staying on track bring in some accountability, and create a special inner circle community. If you're interested in getting involved and learning more, please send us an email to contact at mandarinblueprint.com and put in the subject line, 
inner circle. And with that, coming to you from Belgrade, Serbia, we'll see you next time.